Hello everyone, welcome to the second part of our Champions League preview. It's Chris again, uh, this time with Alex Kulesh, ready to talk Group B. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm excited. I haven't heard Ooh. your chat on Group A. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, so... Good, good, good. That's nice, because also when it comes to the group comparisons later on, uh, we'll kind of like leave that open to you then, because... Uh, Brian and I had our say in the first part. Uh, before we dive into Group B, a uh, reminder that you should join us on Patreon. Uh, we have bonus episodes every week with the Morning Club, and we'll have some extra podcasts as well, some features of every aspect of the sport as the season really starts to get going now. So once we're done with these Champions League previews, and a look at the Women's Champions League next week. We'll bring you some uh, little bit off-road topics as well on patreon.com forward slash handball hour. Uh, if you haven't listened to the first part yet, I, I don't think it really matters. You can listen to this. It's Group B. You don't need to listen to Group A first. You can listen to Group B and, uh, and then check out the Group A preview right afterwards. Uh, if you're listening on the day it's been released, which is Wednesday, it all starts today. And uh, in Champions League Group B, we have Vizsla Płock, we have Telecom Vesprem, Barca, Celia, Montpellier, Gheorghi, Porto, and Magdeburg. And we're going to go through a bunch of different categories to break down the group. But before we do that, Alex, we spoke a little bit about our, you know, our feelings heading into the Champions League season. Uh, what are yours? Can I be really honest, Chris? Be honest, Alex. Again, I didn't didn't hear the last episode. Don't know what you talked about, but I am a little bit bored going into this Champions League season. <laughs> oh, big words. Is it because of the group phase or because of everything? I think it's it's kind of the same teams. You know, the fact that we have in Group B that we're going to talk about, we have Magdeburg and Barcelona playing. You know, that was that was like the big game that we're all so excited for um, in the last last season that it, it, it all built up to this. And it was the, you know, that semi-final was the basic defining moment of the whole competition. And then we're just going to see them play each other twice uh, at the start of this tournament. There's just something anticlimactic about that, uh, that, you know, you do see the same teams face each other um, over and over again. And while there's some new blood in this competition, you know, that, that that's all around kind of the mid-table. The top teams are all right up there. Um, and I, I've said it before, I've said it many times, it's the fact, it is that group stage, the... It, it goes on for a while. It, it's going to be great. There's going to be some fantastic matches. I'm, you know, it's going to be 
especially at the start of the season, you, you just you see these teams really kind of limber up for the first time, especially the ones that aren't in the big leagues. Um, the one like Kiels and Veshram, you know, you, you really get a gauge of them. That's exciting. Then it kind of lulls, and then what you want is a really good, hardcore knockout stage. Lots of games, but then we usually get four last 16 games, four semi uh, quarterfinals, and then a final four. And then all of that is just, there should be more, should be more. Yeah. But despite that, I am excited. <laughs> yeah. well, we did mention in a much briefer way about the, the group phase being a little bit redundant, but I mean, one of the key things for me is that the the level of, let's say, the six, seven teams that you think could get to the final four and compete to win the title seems closer than ever before, you know, and we'll go into it, particularly with um, with some big contenders here in group B. And uh, of the categories we have, we're going to go straight into the top one. Who's going to be the group winner, Alex? Barcelona. Oh, I'm sticking okay. to it. I disagree. I disagree with you here. So that's uh, good. I thought, you, us, I uh, thought you might. Yeah. I thought you might. <laughs> I thought you might get fooled by the fact that Barcelona dropped a point in the Spanish league for <laughs> the first time in two seasons. You know, yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you might look at that and go, oh, they're not the same, but it's still Barcelona. <laughs> uh, that's true. That's true. But uh, not for the same reason. I, I, it's not because of that that I don't think they will, but it's more of a tactical one. But uh, go on. Why are Barca going to win? They just run through teams. They just run through teams continuously. And the big question, of course, you know, that for Barcelona... That's another category. <laughs> the big if, but the big if, we'll the save big that if for later. <laughs> Go on, but Go on. it's it is you can you can combine them. But it's you know with Makuch in, injured, um, yeah. with Sintrik gone, they are relying on Paul Rivera in that um, playmaker position. Inexperienced, relatively young, but they have enough around him to kind of facilitate that. And it's not like Barcelona are a team who rely heavily on a kind of creative playmaker, that there's a system around it. And um, also watch out for the youngsters, the the two 19-year-old twins, uh, the Kakusha twins, who brought Spain the uh, Youth World Championship. Um, they've already... Uh, started playing a few games for Barcelona at the start of the season to kind of fill that gap. So I think they have yeah. enough overall to, yeah, to win the group. And I think I know who you have to win your group, and I have a reason why they won't. <laughs> go on, you just do all the talking for nah, me. Then. No, no, go on, go on. Well, <laughs> why, why don't so before you go into your one? What, why do you think Barcelona, the team that always yeah. wins the group, won't win the group this year? Well, exactly, because they always do. And uh, for the last couple of seasons, uh, prior to last season, it worked out fine when they won the competition. But last season, it didn't work out in the end. And I have a, I have a slight feeling with this, this slightly... Well, no, it is a reduced squad as well. And it's not just the centre-back position, but it's also the line player position, which is... A big, uh, big thing at both ends of the court for them. 
But maybe overall, if they're going to be integrating new players like the Twins you mentioned and try and build up, that they'll try to peak even later than usual. Uh, this is a cl- uh, this is a club that know they can peak later in the season because of the Asabal. They're not too worried about you know preseason training. Preseason training starts now in the beginning of the Champions League. But I think because the regi- little bit of regi- reduced quality and the fact that they're going to try and re reshape their season to be at their very best for the end, uh, that that will cause them to lose a couple of points where they. M- well, not might, where they never lose points in previous seasons, uh, particularly with uh, the likes of facing uh, Magdeburg already at home in round two. So things like that, I think, could see them drop a couple of more points and open up the door to Vesprem to win the group uh, with the undoubtedly the best backcourt in the Champions League. Now, tell me why that's not happening. Momer Illich. <laughs> okay. This is, uh, I think, this is the last test for Morilic. And um, the last test or the last chance? The last chance, I think. Sorry. Uh-huh. Um, because he has he has done a good job kind of turning around Veshrem. Uh, I think he's brought a unity to Veshrem as a team. The, there is, like, there's a good feeling around Morilic and Veshrem. But despite all of that, they're just, they're not winning anything. Um, and at crunch times, they are not um, tactically strong enough um, to really, really win at the highest level. And that's that's been, the fault, I think, the fault of Munger Illich. Um, he, yeah, just it, tactically, he's not good enough. And now... They have fully turned around the squad. They have a full squad. And I think because of that, there's no more excuses. Illich has gotten a lot of um, goodwill in his first couple of years with Vestrum because they they were turning around a club that was very inconsistent, that was um, very inconsistent, more like anything could happen it was uh, a bit fiery you know it was too a bit all over the place and yeah among that kind of steadied the ship they didn't have that much expectation he probably exceeded the low expectation that they had over the last couple of years but now there's no excuse it's they need to win everything in hungary and they need to at least be in the final four of the Champions League, probably the final, and probably win it. That's all well and good, but it, it that doesn't stop them. That crunch time doesn't stop them winning the group phase. They can easily win the group phase, and then, and it's kind of the same in Group A. I said who who I thought would win the group phase is not necessarily the team most likely to win the competition from the group. We haven't mentioned the reigning champions yet, uh, because I feel like Magdeburg, no matter what will happen, will finish second in the group. Uh, they have too much on their plate. I think we're dealing with trying to win both titles, and you know, but I think Bundesliga will take a uh, in this first half of the season will take a bit of priority. But if I feel like they'll sneak into second no matter what, and it'll be either Vesprem or Barca who finish first, first and third. Um, Magdeburg are f- going to finish fourth and what? then win the whole thing again. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that's really throwing the cat among the pigeons. We've got to find out who your uh, who your third place is at the end. 
<laughs> but who's going to be the lock for bottom position in Group B? There's only one team, right? Celia. Well, my question there I'd written down is Stefan Dodic enough to save Celia? Probably not. No. Stefan Dodic no. <laughs> and Mitya Jans as well. Two very, very talented yeah. 20-year-olds are not enough to win a game in this group. Even away against Porto? Even away against Porto. They surprised last year. And with Alex Vla as well, that was just such a revelation. And maybe maybe one yeah. of these uh, players who don't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe one of these players uh, will become the new Alex Vla. Uh, but it will get a Wikipedia page. We'll get a big Wikipedia season. page and a nice yeah. lucrative move to a big Scandinavian club. But I don't see it. And while um, Dodic and Jans are both very talented, they're 20 years old. And mm. Selly are going to yes. run. They're going to run, run, run. They're going to surprise some teams. But at the end of the day, they're not good enough. And they already lost their first round in the Slovenian league. Trimo, Tribaya. I've never said that. Ne Trebnia. Never said that name out loud. <laughs> Trebnia. Trevo Trebnia. They're, they're a decent team they're as well. They're a decent team. European experience. But yes, but they're no, uh, they're no Montpellier. Yeah. I mean, the other the other contender for that is Porto again. I, I feel like it's going to be a tough season for them. Carlos Rosende has come in, who's an absolute legend in Portuguese handball. Uh, most... Uh, goals scored for the national team in his time uh, hasn't coached a team for a couple of years though and uh, that whole thing with Magnus Anderson seemed to end quite sourly as well I think they did him a little bit dirty uh, at the end of his reign so yeah uh, still probably not uh, enough for a solid seven place I'm surprised Porto have um they've are still arounders and are still winning the Portuguese league. Yeah, I, I'm I'm ready for some new blood at the top of uh, um, Portuguese handball to enter the Champions League because they kind of they have the same faces we've seen for such a long time um, in that Porto team while losing kind of the more exciting players. Really, it's it's just Rui Silva there um, keeping it going, and it, it's a nice team. Let's see what um, Reska can do. Maybe just that unity, that Iberian unity. They've gotten rid of the Scandinavians, brought in a few Spanish boys. You know, the, yeah. the tomato Europe and potato Europe combined uh, didn't, didn't quite work. <laughs> so uh, they, uh, they're going for a more classic model. And mm. you know, they are still beating... Sporting and Benfica in the Portuguese league to the title. It's all, it's been very close, but they are still doing it. So it is still a really good team. And I think maybe if they get a bit more momentum, they get a bit more unity, they can do a bit more than just finishing seventh. The surprise one. This one I liked having a think about. You can look at this in a couple of different ways. A team that could surprise in a positive way uh, and make a run. A team that could be an absolute disaster or a team that it seems like whatever they do this season, it'll feel like a bit of a surprise. And that for me is Montpellier. Um, just having Brian Monte 
and Hesham at left back. And all the centre backs they have uh, with uh, Villamino and uh, Simone and Scuba, it's going to be a wild ride for this team. I don't know if they are much better than a couple of seasons ago, but just having a look at this team, I'm quite excited to have them back in the Champions League. Uh, it's almost like the second French team is always a, a breath of fresh air <laughs> because it changes every year. But uh, whichever one it is, they're going to be in for. They're going to give us some uh, entertaining games. And um, yeah, I mean, Montpellier, a team that's you know only four years ago won this competition. You do forget that. You do forget yeah. that. <laughs> you, you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, I had Montpellier uh, as well, and. They have such a young, exciting team. You mentioned some young players there. But they're also, <clears throat> they're like a Balsinger in goals. Um, they have Arthur Len on the line. And, you know, we're talking about young players here, but they're all like 23 to 25. We're not talking about, you know, 20-year-olds and 21-year-olds that you have like hope for most of the team that is playing uh, for Montpellier is around that 24 year old bracket even Ahmed Hesham is in there as well and it's it's a right time for them to make make an impact in the Champions League um they were really good last year in the French League um they probably should have done better than what they did in the European League. They they just, there was something about them last year where it showed in their games against PSG where they might absolutely dominate them one, uh, one game and then get absolutely destroyed the next. There is a bit more of a variance with them last year. I think this year they, they, they just have a really nice team. I, I like those players. I, I want to, I look forward to some of these players becoming household names. Yeah, and also uh, Carl Conan, uh, who we had in the podcast a couple of years ago, uh, getting his first experience in the Champions League as a defender. Yeah, I'm, yeah no, whatever happens, I don't know exactly what's going to happen to them, but it's going to be fun, uh, that's for sure. How about uh, your best signing among the clubs in this group? I feel like we might have the same one here, but it, it's just got to be Ludovic Fabregas. Yeah, it, it is. Can't. There was only there was only one name down in this list. Yeah, <laughs> by far and away, he's just an absolute beast, um, both in attack and in defense. And I think a huge reason why Barcelona have been at the top. It would be really interesting to see if Barcelona. I've, um, despite me saying that he's a huge reason Barcelona the top, him leaving hasn't deterred me from uh, Barcelona being the best team. <laughs> But yes. um, I think it will take them a little bit longer to integrate into the the Veshrem team. They play a very different style. They play a very different defense. Um, so it will be interesting to see how big of a role he can play on both sides of the court for Veshrem right at the start. He will get into it. He will become a big feature. But Veshrem haven't had a proper two-way line player in a long time um, they have their defensive specialists and they have Andres Nielsen and Peck, Peck Malbec has uh, has been very good for them but uh, let's see how they're used 
um, whether they'll have, yeah, you know, with such a wide range of line players for Veshprem. Will it be Peck Malbec, who's like a defensive specialist? Will they be sharing time? How, how will it all fill, fit in um, is still a question for me. Uh, but pure talent, experience, excellent handball playing ability uh, has to be the Fabrias. I mean, you could almost put them in at centre-back, uh, the way they're approaching uh, things. <laughs> they, have such, they have such depth in that position. And it seems to be the way they like to sign players as well, because... It's also Vesprem for me, who are uh, responsible for the weirdest signing, and that is the centre back, who's also huge, Augustine Casado. Have they not learned their lesson in getting really big shooting playmakers? Yeah, it just feels like a, a bit of a uh, well, a weird one. That's why it's the weird signing. It's not uh, well. You're gonna, I think you're gonna like my my choice for the other group. I'm not gonna give that one away. <laughs> I have to listen uh, to it. But that was, well, that one is a bit of like, there was uh, comedy and harshness in it. Uh, for this one, it just feels like an odd signing. Uh, he had his one season in Melsungen. Uh, he, it was a signing, I think, probably based on his his great world, but he, he, European he, he, championship. He did get a, it was a long-term contract. That really has, that move has kind of screwed Vesprem because in that one swoop, they got in... Um, Casado, who proved to be not the you know absolute star that um, he looked like in in that World Championship, and they brought in who uh, Desca, who uh, got a pretty bad injury um, right before moving. So these are like long term signings that essentially I think that they wouldn't make again if they had the choice this year. I mean, just look at all the other options they have there now. So, uh, Ligidvari is probably the, you know, the weakest of that back. Oh, the and the only Hungarian. Learned, he is the only Hungarian left in the squad. Uh, we've learned that he can also, uh, we always knew he could shoot, but he's also used as a defender. But, you know, Kosorotov's come in, amazing signing. Uh, he'll be the out-and-out left back. And then you have Kanto Mahe and Yahia Eldara, who can also play in the centre. And... Nedim Remeli, who can also play in the centre as a right back, because they also have Yahya Omar and Lucas Sandel. So, yeah, it feels a little bit superfluous there. And if they were going to get another player in at centre back, you feel it would have had to be someone with a bit of pace, uh, someone who can offer something different to that team. Yeah, yeah, I, do. yeah, I don't, I don't see Casado playing much this season. Uh, they just have. Yeah, as you said, such a stacked backcourt. Um, and it'll be interesting to see who becomes the alpha in that backcourt. Um, I think Remeli has uh, stepped in and uh, taking, taken that alpha position in, in the backcourt, um, as he always does. You know, for, for a guy who just comes across very quiet and professional, he seems to have a uh, very strong personality on the court pushing our good friend Omar Yahia uh, out of the club. Well, he he does his talking with his goals, doesn't he? He does. Particularly particularly in crucial moments. Who Who's your weirdest signing among the Group B contenders? I think maybe not the weirdest signing, but the most interesting signing is Zarabets uh, for Visa Plotsk <laughs> because they 
they lost Kosorotov and brought in Zarabets. That that was their summer dealings. Um, two very different players. I think that they, they are thinking that you know Zhitnikov can play on the left back. They have Tin Lucine on the light left back who has stepped up. So I don't think they were that worried about um, losing Kosorotov. You know, I, I'm very intrigued to see Zarabets in a more prominent position because he had that very specific role in Kiel. Just move the ball around, be a quick little guy and pop up with a goal or two once in a while. And I think with Vita Plotsky, he's going to be their guy. He's, he's their main player, their main playmaker. And I'm just, I'm not sure if he is good enough to be the main guy for Vita Plotsky, who are a very good team. And um, I think it's it's very possible that they really motor with him uh, kind of lead, yeah. leading that team. But I'm just not sure he's he's good enough to be the main guy. He's the he's the glue guy, not the main guy for me. You know, in his last season there with Kiel, he almost became an assistant coach. You know, yeah. he was always chatting away on the sideline and then came in, you know, whenever really necessary for them. That whole squad for Potsk is really interesting, you know. It feels like they don't really believe in out-and-out uh, backcourt players anymore. Like, they've Lucin and Piroch. Uh, as like left and right backs uh, the rest of them are playmakers or wingers and then there's Mirsad Terzic who's, who's a defender yeah and there's uh, who's it it's Michael Dacek who really plays right back he doesn't uh... yeah he is a right back he's, he's a well yeah, he's, a, he's a winger who's a right back yeah. but uh, yeah interesting interesting squad okay the key game of this group phase for you uh which is, uh, after your opening here, saying the group phase is completely pointless, might be a bit of a difficult one. <laughs> but So I'll go first. It is already in round two for me, and it goes back to a few of these question marks we spoke about. It's Barca at home to Magdeburg. I feel like that's going to set the tone uh, for both of these teams in the competition, uh, and also kind of giving the rest of the teams in the group an idea of what they're coming up against. That, that's an interesting one because you have two teams, especially at the start of the group, you have two teams in kind of different flows. You know, Magdeburg are a team who are a little bit injured at the moment, um, sit, but already <clears throat> in flow, full flow of the Bundesliga. Uh, and you have Barcelona, a, a team who are just kind of ramping up and them meeting in round two is, is going to be a really interesting measuring stick for Barcelona, I, I think. Um, maybe I'll be proved wrong immediately. <laughs> and we're going to see Barcelona languishing at the bottom of the table uh, for, yeah. for, for, for most of the group stage, but uh, unlikely, unlikely. For me, it is uh, Vesprem versus Barcelona. We both have picked a Barcelona game, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I think that just means that we are both a little bit uncertain about just how good they are this season. I'm on the more optimistic side. I think you're more on the pessimistic side. I just want to see them challenged. We haven't seen them be yeah. properly challenged for so long that uh, I think we're excited by the fact. And on the other side, it's it's actually a, you know, for Veshprem, it's a kind of monkey off their back. You know, if they can beat Barcelona and... Uh, they play in round six and round nine. I think um, that game in round nine is the one where they'll have to 
absolutely prove that they're good enough that they can claim this quarterfinal and go and win this Champions League. Um, I think it comes down to that for for Vesprem. Now for the the big if, I think we we kind of already touched upon mine with Barca. We've talked a lot about them. Uh, was yours Barca as well? It, a little bit. I think we've talked about it a okay. lot. But if we're going to go with uh, another big if, it's uh, Gay or Gay, who we haven't Finally. spoken about. <laughs> we haven't this... spoken about yet. <laughs> That's where I was going towards. <laughs> in this because new preview. We've managed to go half an hour here and not talk about the two-time reigning Danish champions who've made uh, seven summer signings and uh, our quarterfinalists last year. And they are always a big if. I think so. They, they're, I think they're a big if going into every season. And so much so that they started this um, the Danish League season by beating Aalborg in the Super Cup. And everyone looked at them and were like, oh, wow. You know, they <laughs> made, they've actually made some really amazing signings. Alexander Blontz is in there. Aaron Mensing. Morten Olsen is still a player. Uh, Anton Linskog <laughs> on the line. Linus Persson is a proper right back. Emil Madsen is still there. This is this is a team. And then they kind of stumbled out the block of the uh, Danish league. They lost to Reba Esberg. Um, let me just get the yeah. They lost to Reba Esberg and they drew with Sander Juske, um, which is um, a little bit worrying. But as uh, even Nick Krikow said himself when he spoke to us, you know, the season only starts in the second half of the year yeah. in Denmark. So they have time to uh, get together, get the team together. And it's 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 a really talented team. I, f- I feel this is like one thing that really sta- stands out for me about this team is, you know, they've they've committed their future now to losing Emil Madsen. They have one more season with him, which is fantastic. But they... They've brought in Linus Persson, which is fine. But they also have the starting right back from the Danish under-21 team and the Danish under-19 team, both of them who played deep in the World Championship <laughs> this year, who are just completely different players as well. The under-21, Helte uh, Licke, uh, is this tiny, speedy guy, like even smaller than uh, Giesel, almost like a, a right-back version of Luke Steins. And, uh, and then the uh, under-19 right-back, Lasse Wilhelmsen, is like 193, a big guy. So they just like brought so many, like two more left backs in from their youth team, as well as Aaron Mensing to fill in for Pitlick. Uh, Alexander Blons, I think, is a great signing uh, for them as well. I hope that will, like, you know, they managed to revive the career of another left wing, uh, Jerry Tolbring, who's now gone on to Barca or to Berlin, and they could do the same thing uh, for Blons. Yeah, I think just overall they. Um, they just keep on trucking, and I think it'll be uh, yeah, another season with no real expectations going into it. But they'll they'll make a mark for sure. Yeah, and I I do wonder what um, how big of an impact losing Nikolai Krikow is going to be for them because he's been such a steady leader for them. Um, their their new head coach uh, is not uh, someone with the same level of experience. It's um, Ian Marco Fogg. Um, so I don't, I, I'm not too familiar. There's one thing about a coach coming into Geoge and um, you know trying to win the league, but then there's another thing of 
a coach coming in with little less experience and then trying to make an impact at the Champions League level. And so that is something that might hamper them in the long run um, in this group. But yeah, they are uh, they're an exciting team as always. And I I think this whole group is really exciting, isn't it? It is. It is exciting. Just just one thing on Ian Marco Fogg here. That's not that's not just say he's some no nobody because he couldn't find a Wikipedia page for him. I just... <laughs> Danish coach of the year in 2018. Uh, and he has coached teams in the Danish league. He's also coached uh, in Sweden. Took a little bit of a step back from coaching for a bit because he was uh, like the technical director of uh, Ringsted uh, before taking this on. So I'm sure he'll be fine. He knows what to do. <laughs> but yes, it is an exciting group. And the question here before we go and, and give the uh, predictions, is it a more exciting group than Group A in your opinion? I think it's a more exciting group, but I think Group A is overall stronger. Ooh, I, I, interesting. I think I just really like the look of all the teams in this group. You know, the we have all the kind of surprise packages from last year, uh, being Geoge, Magdeburg, and Visaplotsk. We have kind of two teams that are right at the top, but have some kind of question marks around them, Barcelona and Veshbrem. And then... Montpellier, we mentioned as their most exciting team. I think Porto are going to be better this year, and then Cellier are also going to be there. I don't think Porto, Geoge, or Visa Plotsk are necessarily the strongest teams when you compare them to Group A. They're the surprising teams, and they're the teams I'm excited to see if they can repeat it. But I don't actually think that, you know, they are better than the the kind of what is it, the, the three to five in group A? I, l- I look at both groups in kind of three, three and two, right? Because it's almost certain that with the top three, well, the, the bottom two are set in stone and then there's like a mid-table. For me, maybe the, the top three in the group A, so PSG, Kielsa, Kiel, are not teams you want to face compared in the group compared to Vesper and Barca, Magdeburg. But Montpellier, Gheorghi and Płock, I feel, are stronger than Alborg, Kolstad and uh, Seget. And Porto and Celia are better than Zagreb and Pellister, who are a bit of a joke. I, I, I think Pellister are about the same as Celia. Um, if anything, they're, they're probably a little... They're, at least they're men. That, that they're, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bunch of boys, Slovenian boys running around. <laughs> Um, but I think you're, I think you're being, um, you're weighted too much by last year's Champions League and looking at, uh. you know, when you're talking about Pick Zeget and Alborg, these are teams that are like in a different, ca- they're more of a kind of top three team category, you know, that the, in your uh. first bracket. Those two teams are more of a first bracket team. Alborg have Landine, they have Mikkel Hansen, they have an unbelievable team, and they are going to be really good this year. Pixeget as well, a team that has traditionally been, you know, right at the top. I won't uh, go into Pixeget now. I'm sure you discussed them quite a bit in the <laughs> oh, sure. in, in, in the last group. Well, in the last well, group already. Because Se- Seged Se- Se- kind of had the Geo role for us there, because we we see them as uh, we saw them as kind of a team that 
or maybe they're like just letting this season happen before the whole new wave of coaches and players come in for next season. But we well, we'll see how the first few rounds go. We can talk about Sagan more uh, in a further podcast. What's your what's your ranking here from bottom to top? Sally at the bottom. And then it is Vislaplotsk. Second from bottom. Okay. Okay. Because oh. you do do remember that Vislaplotsk scraped by Zagreb. They obviously scraped through and they did an amazing job. They got to the quarterfinal, but they scraped through against Zagreb uh, last year. And I do, I just, I, I have such high hopes for Portuguese handball that I, I'll always believe um, <laughs> in, in those teams. So yeah. I think Porto will um, go through there. Then in fifth place, uh, Geoge are going to land. Fourth place, Magdeburg. Third place, Montpellier. Second place, Vesprem. And in first place, it's going to be Barcelona. Fun. That's, that's what I'm saying. And that's why I said that this group is more exciting. Because you can yeah. see, you know, I've gone co- like really out there with that type of prediction. But you can see it happening, right? No. You can see all of that happening. Yes, absolutely. And in the group A one, we had a couple of disagreements as well. Uh most in the top and in a kind of pointless position, fifth and sixth. I've Salia eighth, uh, Porto seventh, Kwatsk sixth, Giorgi, I agree with you in fifth, Montpellier fourth, Magdeburg third, Barca second, and Vesprem first. We mentioned how important it is, particularly between third and sixth, the finishing positions this time, because of how uncertain it's going to be. And you're going to have a big, big team finishing in third and fourth in both groups. Uh, so you really, yeah, the, the shakeup for those positions are going to get us really excited about the playoff round, which is then going to disappoint again. Well, it's just, <laughs> it's going to be there for, <laughs> for two weeks. It's, it's going to be a really quick playoff round. Uh, and, then, and then we're going to be in the final four. There, we're, <laughs> there you go. Uh, okay, I think that, uh, that'll do us for this one. Exciting times. And uh, Alex, thank you for that. Uh, I think next up, we're going to have a look at the the Women's Champions League, uh, which started uh, last weekend. So we'll have a look at how round two goes before we dive into that one. And and if anyone wants to get excited about the Women's Champions League, go up and uh, look up the goalkeeper stats in the first round of the Women's Champions League. I think there was about eight goalkeepers that had more than... Uh, 17 saves. The goalkeepers have been absolutely on fire to start the season. So we'll dig into why why that's happening. Sounds like a good plan. All right. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for your support on Patreon as well. And uh, we'll see you next for a Women's Champions League podcast and the next Morning Club. Goodbye. Goodbye.